This is episode number 230. What is the relationship between grief and gratitude with Casey Berman? Welcome. My name is Oleg Lokid, and this is the Overcoming Outs podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a few quick announcements. First one being is if you have enjoyed any of the previous episodes or if this is your first time tuning in, consider supporting our cause by making a donation through our website at overcomingodds.today so we can continue creating and sharing these courageous and inspiring conversations. The second announcement that I wanted to make is an invitation to all of our listeners to our upcoming experience called Survive to Thrive Attitude of Gratitude. This is a weekly conversation that is broadcasted live through Facebook and LinkedIn where we explore the topics around the concepts of the connection between gratitude and grief, gratitude and resilience, gratitude and relationships in our lives, and many other topics. If you'd like to know more details about any of these upcoming experiences, please visit our website at overcomingodds.today where you'll be able to find the time and place that each and every single one of these takes place. Last but not least, if you've enjoyed any of the previous episodes, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. There he is, Casey Berman. <laughs> How are you? Long time no see and long time no talk. <laughs> long, long time no talk. Always great to be here. So thanks, Alec. Absolutely. I'm grateful that we're able to do this. And as I was mentioning to other people, <coughs> last weekend, we had a conversation. Scott was also present there. It was three and a half, four hours long. I don't know if we'll be able to meet that particular standard that we've set our, for ourselves. But I think this theme and this question of grief and what is the meaning of grief to me is fascinating for a couple of different reasons. I, I think when I was able to look at grief as just part of the process, you know, this is just kind of the next phase or the next step within the journey of processing, whether it's the loss of a connection or a relationship or a friendship, whatever it may look like. I have found myself that in stepping into that, A, not only was it almost like an honor to be able to be a part of that, but I was able to walk away a completely different person. Mm -hmm. And I think gratitude also played a big role within that. But I think before we dive into the connection between the two, how do you understand the grief to begin with? Yeah. Yeah. It's great to be here. Uh, we're missing Scott, but we, we, I would definitely want to get his opinion on grief. And, and we'll be grieving over Scott's. And we'll absence. be grieving. Over <laughs> um, but I definitely, we'll definitely have to do something else. Uh, I'd love to get his take. And I, I definitely want the, the, the world to kind of hear his take on this. But um, you and I will try, try and hold it up without him. But 
you know, when I think about grief, for me, I've lived um, a fairly grief-free life, thankfully. And I wondered if I could even add a lot to this conversation when you first asked me to join for it. Um, and I've definitely had issues in life, but thankfully my, my parents are alive. My, my wife's parents, my in-laws are alive. Um, my animals are alive and so on, my children. Um, and the first thing when it really clicked in was my wife um, had very early stage breast cancer uh, two years ago, as I've mentioned, I mentioned last week. And it's not something I really talked about at the time that much or brought up. It's something I can feel a little more comfortable doing so now. Um, and uh, even though she might not she might be embarrassed we, about me bringing it up here. But I think for me personally, um, it was one of the first times recently where I was sort of prepping myself for grief. If something mm -hmm. happened here early stage, um, uh, your mind jumps into, well, what ifs, as we all know, um, you know, and I have two children and the thoughts have crossed my mind also, if anything tragic were to happen to them. Um, so, you have this anticipatory grief, if you will, which which really hurts and is scary. And I know grief is coming. I mean, people people will loved ones will die, uh, mm -hmm. things will happen. Um, my dog will pass away, and um, it's something that I know. And so, in some ways, as as I've reached the age where I'm at at forty seven, I'm I'm prepping to my 47 yeah i think 47 <laughs> I'm, I'm 48 this year uh you get to that point where you sort of forget exactly. yeah um which is good in some ways you i'm in some ways i found myself without even realizing it prepping for grief so then that means well what is grief grief is sadness i mean mm -hmm. grief is sadness right it's that feeling of loss uh, it's, and, and, you know, as we've talked about it, words and language we think can be exact, but it's really not. Um, so when you say sadness, when you say grief, when you say lack of joy, you know, these are really crude attempts to understand what this is. I just want everyone to know that, you know, I asked one of my engineering friends years ago, I was like, why do you, why is there Java? Why is there R? Why is there Ruby on rails? Why are all there these development languages you make it so hard like why don't you just write make the button red make the button blue when someone clicks here then go and he wanted to smack me but he said casey do you know how inexact the english language is well do you make the button crimson do you make it ruby red what do you mean red and it really opened my eyes into how why things are lost in translation so when we define grief as sadness it's so inexact it's really how you feel first of all the other thing is david r hawkins who i i brought up a lot um md psychiatrist i think he died in 2010 but he really did a phenomenal job at mapping our human emotions from a scientific standpoint i like to say he kind of combined and created that intersection between science um, and and emotions and the touchy feelingness and for him, grief, he, he created a spectrum, everything from shame and guilt all the way up to love and literally enlightenment. And enlightenment is where God is, where karma is, where the sages are, where Jesus, Buddha, uh, MLK, 
uh, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, for example, um, a level of just love, connectedness, neutrality, turn the other cheek, all of that. And you kind of move up shame, there's guilt, there's courage where things shift and love and so on. Well, grief is at the bottom. <clears throat> and he grief is at the bottom because it's something that is, I think the how he puts it is that it's inactive. It, it keeps you stuck. Okay. So where am I going with all this? Where I'm going with all this is that one, when you think about grief, it's as best as we can, it's that sadness. It's that lack of joy. It's that real pain. It's that feeling of loss. It's that, it's that feeling things will never be the same. Okay. The first thing when we feel grief, when I will feel grief, when we do feel grief is to feel it. Mm-hmm. You know, bliss ninnies, <clears throat> bliss ninnies, they call them, or people who just joy, joy. It makes sense. We all want to feel positive, but the only way you're going to bring light to the darkness is to actually feel the darkness. So I think the first thing that I want to do is you got to feel it. And it, it hurts, but you have to feel that grief. I know when my dog passes away, it's going to be a very, nowhere soon. She's got a ton of energy, but it's going to be a very very dark day for me. And there's no way I can avoid it. Mm-hmm. Much less people in my life, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing that I want to say is, as you're feeling it, after you're feeling it, you have a choice. And you can stay stuck. You can stay in inaction. Or you can move. And this is where I think gratitude. Gratitude helps you move out of loss. It helps you move out of grief. <clears throat> now, if you want to stay in grief for the rest of your life, we have seen older people who never stop mourning. Mm-hmm. Why would we do that? Well, we don't want to act. We're scared. Where's fear? I think also in life, in our matrix of a world, we're programmed to think that if you don't feel pain, you don't care. And there's this idea, well, I just lost so-and-so. What would they think looking down from wherever they are if I were to actually enjoy myself? They'll probably say, they're probably not even looking at you, the spirit, whatever you believe in. And if they are, it's like, really? You're going to spend the next 30, 40 years of your life in pain? Go, enjoy, meet new people. Go, don't forget me. Mm-hmm. But meet new people and get out, right? So I'll pause here. But really what I want to say is grief is hard to define in words, but you know it when you feel it. And just feel it. Keep feeling it. At the same time, understand that gratitude is not forgetting them. You still have the loss, Mm -hmm. but you don't need the pain. Gratitude helps you move up, David Hawkins, this emotional spectrum, because then you can move into anger, which is better than grief because you want to do something about it. Then you can move into courage, this idea of like, I'm going to move forward even despite this loss. And then you can move into neutrality and acceptance and love and, and so on, because wouldn't you want this grief to make you a better person, to help other people? Mm-hmm. The people that I admire the most are those who have lost a loved one and then created a movement behind it and have helped so many other people manage it. So for me, feel the grief, really feel it. Don't ignore it because you're not going to heal if you don't face it. Mm-hmm. And then um, it's a great topic you bring up. Gratitude literally helps you start driving, help you move, get out of neutral and, uh, and move forward to healing. Mm-hmm. 
Does that make sense? It does. You know, you bring up many good points. I think the first one that I wanted to acknowledge is the whole concept of letting it flow through you with whatever intention it has. I think for a while, I think that the same thing applies for me when I look at adversity or challenges in life. The the very first thing that I wanted to do is I just wanted to overcome it. I wanted to eliminate it out of my life and I wanted to move on to the next chapter. Yeah. What I started to realize, and I think the same applies to grief, is that though these are topics that, in my opinion, not only have they always been there, but they will always be there as long as I'm alive. Yeah. So if I don't choose to let it take its course and learn whatever it is that I can learn from it and embrace it for what it is, then it's just it's bound to come back in some yeah. other shape or form. And what I've started to realize throughout my own journey is that when I did not choose to acknowledge certain things for happening, and then they took a different shape and a different form, it became that much harder to articulate what is this actually and why is it happening? <laughs> because it's no longer processed as, let's say, grief that I experienced in losing a loved one, but it's being processed when I'm in an argument with someone. And that anger, it's not actually anger. It's the grief behind the anger that's triggering the anger. Mm -hmm. So I, I think what you pointed out within that, it's such a great point to take away from it because as much as I wanted to get through it and kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel, I think there's also beauty within just choosing to accept it for what it is. And that's if I'm in sadness for the next 24 hours or a week or a month or a year, well, that's the journey. That's the journey I go on. Yeah. I love what you just said. And the word that jumped out for me was acknowledge. And if there's any um, Buddhism experts, please push back, correct me, let me know. I'd love to hear how I'm misinterpreting this. And my son is studying a lot of comparative religions right now online, and he's loving it. He knows more than I do. But what I read in one of his books was Buddhism and is, is, you know, a lot of us want to think of what am I feeling now and how do I change it? And I think the Buddha said the is really the first question is, what am I feeling now? Mm -hmm. Full stop. Just what am I feeling? What am I feeling? And acknowledging it. And just like I've heard people talk about the thought in your mind, viewing that thought in your mind, just like you hear the car outside the door, outside your house, you hear the garbage truck come, you hear the bird chirp. It's literally being the observer of your thoughts. Mm -hmm. And just saying, there's a thought. <clears throat> I rush to change it. Ooh, not feeling good. Got to change it. Mm -hmm. And many of us change it by flipping on the TV, which doesn't really change it, but distracts us. But if you just observe it, I mean, last week I told you how I had the, the, I felt very disrespected about dealing. Uh, <laughs> I won't, I won't bore you with it, but cleaning out my basement and garage for the umpteenth time with all the stuff my family's thrown in there and just feeling so disrespected and a wasted Saturday and all that, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, ang I get angry and anger is, as they say, uh, injecting yourself with poison, expecting it to kill someone else, right? Hurt someone else. And the thing is, I acknowledged it. I knew I was doing it or my ego was doing it to me or however you want to say. And I just let it run its course. I didn't try to solve it really. I just let the anger go through. Um, now, it wasn't that much fun to be around, as my wife and kids told me, but 
I just, I got through it. And I think to your point, whether it's anger or grief, letting the grief run through your veins and just knowing whether it's seven minutes or seven days or whatever it is, there's going to be a period of time where the, the poison or the, the drug or however, whatever, however you want to imagine it is, um, is taking over your system and, and it's mm-hmm. okay. It's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm just, mm-hmm. just acknowledging it. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing that I think you are particularly exceptional at is this whole concept of attachments, at least based on my conversations with you, Laura Staley, who's joined us here, she brought up a really good point, And that is, it's tough to grieve someone, something or someone you haven't loved. I call this grieve love because they've woven together people who form strong attachments to belongings, to thoughts, to their identity or other people. Um gets broken down for whatever reason. I'm curious to hear from your lens and then I would love to get into the topic of attachments and then here's her follow-up as well. When you think about grief, Mm -hmm. when it comes to a person or a being or something, what is it that you actually grieve? Mm -hmm. Do you grieve the physical presence or do you grieve the attachment that you had to them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, thanks for saying I'm exceptional with attachments. I feel I'm <laughs> horrible with it. Um, I think I'm exceptional at showing how attached I am to things. But, you know, the attachment that I've understand, and, and it's taken me a long time to really even understand what this means. And I've tried to get to a definition about it because I know I have so many attachments. But one way that I've heard is the actual word for it, I think it's in Sanskrit, and I can't say the word myself, but is um, a hang-up. You're hung up on something. You're hung up. I think, uh, from what I understand, if you went back to the the spiritual teachers, the sages <clears throat> in the past, and said it's a head, they'd say, yeah, you're kind of hung up on it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so, which means what exactly? You're stuck to it. You can't get it out of your mind. Um, you need X, Y, Z to happen before you can do ABC and and move forward. And, or you need something in a certain way. That's kind of how I view it. And I think the attachments I've kind of had a lot in life have been, well, I need, I want something to happen in this way. I want to make my money this way. Mm-hmm. I want the people in my life to be this way. Um, and that's how I want it. Now it's good, as you've talked a lot about, Oleg, about setting intention. Mm-hmm. Um, and really intention being this way of of acting and moving forward. But for me, I let desire really get in the way of it has to be a, a certain way. And that's where I think my struggles with attachment come. So when it comes to grief, I think the feeling is that um, it hasn't happened in the way we want is one. I think, too, if you lose someone in your life, there's a feeling or lose anything in your life. There's a feeling that you um, have loss and you have a gap and you have a, a void. And I think there's a level of fear that you can't continue on in the way you wanted to continue on. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if, if I lost my wife back then or even now, mm-hmm. The grief I would have about losing this person I love and my best friend, um, I mean, <laughs> I don't want to think about it. I should think about it, just to, but I don't even want to think about it. But I think there would also be a level of, well, 
what do I do now? I'd feel yeah. helpless. I feel helpless. And what that means though, is that there's, there's a real recognition that I can't find another way of doing it. And so when I think about that, it's more of, um, I would feel helpless. I'd feel fear. I'd feel alone. Um, so that, so let me pause there. Cause I want to say the, what the flip side might be, but mm -hmm. I don't know if, does that get to the point around, uh, attachment or do you want to dive deeper in any of that? Well, I think the one thing that you pointed out that I wanted to touch upon is this whole concept of there could always be more, you know, when my late uncle passed last year, one of the things that I had found myself doing, especially leading up to his passing is wishing that there was one more conversation, one more hug, one more X, Y, and Z. And I, I, I've been curious as far as the attachment goes, is that a conditioned behavior or is that actually something that is within each and every single one of us and that's almost like a must or a, a necessary component to what it means to be a human? Well, what, what do you think? I'll, I'll answer your question with another question. What do you think is driving the need for one more, I one think more it's, conversation, one more hug? I think for me, it's the level of trust. So first, it's the level of connection that I've had with the individual. Mm -hmm. How I break that down is that connection for me included trust. It included um, chances for me to really be myself around an individual without having to experience the feeling of being judged, mm -hmm. which at the core, the more that I thought about it, it made me think that that is really what I was desiring for at the time was that opportunity to be fully accepted and fully loved for who I am and not who I needed to be. And that's where I think for me, that level of attachment was so strong that in him passing, the grief was great because it was not necessarily, I was only missing his physical presence or having the ability to pick up the phone and have a conversation but it was all of these things that he helped me realize about who I am. Mm -hmm. And I think tying it to the gratitude component, that level of attachment helped me because through attachment, I was able to find and articulate the lessons and the takeaways that he had in my life and the lessons and the takeaways that I could pass on to other people, which maybe in a way one could argue that that extends his life. And his presence in the world. Yes. So what that made me think of, and let me first disclaimer here. Mm -hmm. If I lose someone in my life, I'm going to break down. I mean, there's no way around. I'm a human. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm in this world. I'm in the matrix. I'm in the illusion as the, as Hinduism talks about. So let's just say there, I'm just like everyone else. But here's what I'm thinking about and here's what mm -hmm. I'm wrestling with and here's what um, whether this is something I can apply in my life I hope I can or if it's just something theoretical but the question is why is the thing that causes grief death whatever it is death mm -hmm. of a loved one whatever it is why do we view it as bad yeah <clears throat> because that's where grief comes from because grief is sadness. Grief, grief is the result of each of us viewing a neutral event, mm -hmm. a death, something, 
a neutral event because we give meaning to everything. When when the Hindu when Hinduism talks about il, the world as illusion, Maya, what they're saying is everything that happens in the world is just mm -hmm. there. It just is. We project our meaning onto it. So someone might find this conversation enthralling. Someone might be bored to tears with the sound of my voice. Same thing, different. And I know people. I know people who are bored to tears with my voice. So I know. <laughs> so, so when these things happen, we give it meaning. Mm -hmm. Why do we give it a negative meaning? Mm -hmm. Why? And then why, then that's the result of grief. So if your uncle dies, if my dog passes away, why is it negative? Now, someone may want to smack me through the camera here, say, are you kidding? I love my dog. I love my uncle. I, I feel a sense of loss. Screw you. Don't be so ivory tower. What are you talking about? But I'm challenging us to kind of move beyond kind of peek above everything. The emperor has no clothes here. And what if we can look at death in a, in a different way? Again, this is very difficult for me, but right. this is kind of what I'm getting at is what if we can, why is death so bad? It's rejuvenating. It means new babies can come into the world. Mm -hmm. Babies who aren't conditioned and programmed like the rest of us. Mm -hmm. It means there's new learnings. It means like you said, Oleg, I can actually survive in my children or survive in my nephews and survive in people who are still living. So one way that gratitude, I think, helps with this grief is one, it either heads grief off in the beginning, like I'm not going to feel any grief, which is theoretically makes sense, but I think realistically pretty impossible and you should feel the grief. But I think gratitude also helps you shift your thoughts on really the main cause which is this horrible thing I've been dreading my whole life. Can mm -hmm. I view it in a different way? And when you can view it in a different way, that's where you lose the attachment. That's where you become free. Mm -hmm. That's where you become lighter. That's where you become empowered and confident and all of that that really is love. That's when you start moving up David R. Hawkins' spectrum to enlightenment. It doesn't mean you don't Ha it doesn't mean you don't have the loss. It just means the the pain is less, or you're literally able to move forward despite the pain. Mm -hmm. and you bring up a really good point as far as why is it viewed the way that it is? Uh, why is negativity viewed or negative energy viewed the way that it is? Because personally speaking, what I have found is that whenever I am experiencing anger, for example, I actually find anger to be a powerful tool if channeled the right way. That's right. Anger for me is a huge motivator and a huge boost of energy to channel into something if it's used in a productive fashion with an intention, so to exactly. speak. But I, I, I think you do bring up a good point. And why is it viewed that way? I by no means have – I don't have the ultimate answer to it, but what I can – assume is conditioning is one of those mm -hmm. in, in thinking that um and i think it starts probably from my childhood days i don't know if you've experienced this but as a male one of the things that i was taught was don't cry certainly don't cry in public yeah um crying is for the weak anyone that cries doesn't have x y and z and so it was really not seen a sign of strength and i got to a point where i actually forgot how to cry after yeah. a while. I mean, that's how extreme it got. 
now I literally have to, outside of a uh, certain number of situations where I intentionally force myself to cry mm-hmm. because I've been conditioned to think that crying's bad. Don't cry. You're, yeah. You'll be viewed as X, Y, and Z. And I think the same thing applies to empathy. You know, being empathetic with someone, showing that level of connection, depending on a gender, you're viewed differently. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think there's just there's a lot to be said about the perspectives and the conditioned way of doing things. And in that, I'll also address one other thing. You know, for me to address these things um, and to move past them, I think there was a time and there was a place. For all those things for me yeah yeah because had i not had those things had i not someone had someone come up to me and say hey don't cry because you look like x y and z i don't think i would be sitting here and having this perspective mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. i think there is um i think contrast is a blessing and a curse but i think having contrast that's the thing that creates the perspective mm-hmm. to and the possibility to move forward to see that yes life could be different yeah you know i i hear oftentimes well i'll start with myself i used to tell myself many times that i don't want to experience pain Mm -hmm. i don't want to experience suffering i don't want to experience any of that i just want to live a happy life with no challenges no struggles well the challenge with that is if that is the life that i'll be living how will I never? How will I ever know what to be grateful for mm-hmm. in those situations? Mm-hmm. You know, if everything is constant and everything is good, how can you know when you're doing something that's not that? If you're on an EKG meter which measures your heart and everything is constant, mm-hmm. I mean, you're flatlining. Yeah. When if everything is constant, that means you're always front and you're never back. If everything is constant. That means you're always savory and never sweet. Mm-hmm. We could go on and and you bring up a fantastic point, which is that that contrast is 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 you mm-hmm. you you the only way we we live in something where it's relative. And I think you know people talk about a peak and a valley as two different things. Peak and a valley are the same thing. A front and the back is the same thing. Well, like looking at you now with your background, we've talked about this. You're mm-hmm. in the foreground. Then there is the the background. They are one in the same. Yeah. There is not a foreground and a background. It's one in the same about how we perceive you. Because if there's no background, how do I know who the portrait is? It's, mm-hmm. it's the same. So that contrast we view as a negative, like, oh, I can only know good until I know bad. That's right. But it's literally as if they're, they're, the, they're the front and the back of a person. And so I agree same with point. you. It's the same coin. It's mm-hmm. not two sides of the same coin. It's the coin. Mm-hmm. Um, and he hit the nail on the head. Mm-hmm. You know, Melody brought up a really good point here. She has joined us here from Massachusetts. She said, tears are an expression of the soul. Mm-hmm. The more that I thought about my own experience of crying to begin with, I related it to the same exact thing as exercising or releasing my energy through some other forms. 
And I found that tears has a similar impact. In fact, if anything that I've realized, and I'm curious to hear your perspective on it, but tears for me has brought some of the greatest clarity. Oh, yeah. My life. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's literally like releasing everything from the body. Physically, mm -hmm. you can see it mm -hmm. through water, through your mm -hmm. tears mm -hmm. coming out of your body in a different form. And I just thought that was such a like fascinating experience. I remember first time realizing that and just being completely blown away because I didn't even think that was possible. Isn't it weird how this imaginary thing, a thought, creates this tangible thing, tears? I mean, how crazy is that? Same thing with procreation, same thing with sex, right? Which we don't need to get into on this family show, but you know what I mean, right? <laughs> The same thing with the internet. I mean, what is Wi-Fi? I, I, can't, I can't see it, but it's floating around here. Same thing with TV, same thing with radio. And so there, but tears, going back to tears, I mean, you think this thought, whether it's happy or and there's sad tears and happy tears, I mean, like, which one are they? Well, no, they're different. Yeah. All types of tears. And it's an expression of the soul. And I think, you know, we stymie tears. We force them back in. For what? Because we're cared of, because in this matrix, we care what people think about us. Because people are going to think we're weak. Sure, they might. But mm -hmm. they're project. And not only that, you know what? They may not. We're projecting meaning onto them. It's not their fault. Who are we to say, think about it. I'm going to cry in this movie, but I think so-and-so over there, I'm going to project onto so-and-so <laughs> this feeling Casey is weak, and then I'm going to have him project back. It's ludicrous. Mm -hmm. Now, where does this all come from, this ludicrousness? All right, so – Adam Allette, my business partner, Leave Law Behind, who's been a great mentor for me um, and is is taught me so much. Um, I see this in in Buddhism. Um, I see this in uh, something called a Course in Miracles, a a spiritual practice of the past forty years, which I have found extremely eye opening for me. I want to say there's one reason why I'm talking about Buddhism and these types of things is because I feel as a Jewish kid, and I'm still culturally Jewish, but I think a lot of the Judeo-Christian religions, mm -hmm. I hate to say this, are kind of stuck in the matrix. They don't let you peek up. There's there's Gnosticism. There's definitely the spiritual and mystic, mystic Jewish tradition, which which you see in Svat in Israel and around um, Kabbalah and its real core teachings. But a lot of the programming, like you talked about, Oleg, mm -hmm. doesn't let you say the emperor has no clothes. As my kids say it, it's a, you know, a white guy with a long beard yelling at you religion. Um, and it's true. There, there's, there's a box that we need to fit in. And what I like about Buddhism is that, and I think this is what a lot of people like, is that it's really not a religion. It's more of an ideology. Like there's no God. There's no, there's no thou shalt in many ways. Now, there's a lot of Buddhists out there who are stuck, who aren't thinking in the same way. I'm just kind of talking about the, the mm -hmm. spirit of, of, of itself. And so what am I getting at? I'm getting at this idea that what is our – we are fascinated with death and loss. We're fascinated by it. Mm -hmm. I know if it bleeds, it leads, but we are – why are we so fascinated with it? Now, 
this was the question we had a little bit ago, and we can talk about the programming like you've talked mm -hmm. about, and I think that's definitely there. But I want to throw out this idea, which I just recently learned and came across, which is this idea that the Course in Miracles talks about this a lot, which is this idea that if we have death in our life, this reality is real. It's real. Because it's going to end. And we're going to do everything we can for it not to end. I mean, there's that Chinese saying which says something, um, uh, you know, man wants to, humans want to um, live a long life, but we never want to grow old, right? So it's this idea that as long as we have death here and as long as we have this loss, this is really real for us, mm -hmm. right? And so what if we talk about attachment? What if we didn't have death anymore? What if we didn't view it as a bad thing? Mm -hmm. The house of cards falls. Think about it. If no one's worried about death, what? Now, the ego, the rabbi in the long robe, the priest in the long robe, the sense of authority, the estate tax, it doesn't matter. Now, I can't really practice this in reality yet. This is very difficult even, but... I want to throw out there that we actually have a fascination with grief and loss. We essentially need it as a necessary bookend on this thing that we call a reality, this matrix. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll also add on to it. So I recently read a book. It was right when my uncle was passing that really helped me tremendously called Tuesdays with Maury. Mm-hmm by Mitch album. Yeah. And then I think the, the one right before that I read was the uh, timekeeper mm -hmm. by Mitch album, but Tuesdays with Maury, there was one sentence in particular that just had a profound impact on me. And that is, I think he said something along the lines of at the end of the day, all one wants to do is control, be in control of their existence. Yeah. And that's why I think death is a fascinating, but also could be a fearful and many of these other things topic, because that's an experience you can't control. You don't know how it's going to happen and you don't know when it's going to happen or why it's going to happen or yeah. what's going to make it happen. So there's a lot of questions that come to that topic. And that I think partially that's one of the things that, for me personally fascinates me about the topic is just there's so not even so much everything about is an unknown well, think, think you know even the whole concept of like passing in a particular state like mm -hmm. that's one of the things i i have a harder time kind of wrapping my head around it and that's oftentimes um, i'll hear this thing saying something along the lines of don't have any regrets mm -hmm. or you don't want to have any regrets when you pass that's assuming that you pass in a quote unquote peaceful manner, right? What if you get hit by a bus tomorrow? I mean, when is the time to really reflect upon what regrets did you have in life? Yeah. And that I think goes back to, at least for me, choosing to live life as intentionally as I can and do these things on a daily basis, reflect, yeah. thank people, practice the gratitude instead of waiting for like this final bell to ring and say, okay, you got 24 hours. What yeah. would you like to accomplish? So 
I, I think there, yeah, I think that's a, it's an interesting concept. And I, I agree with you in regard to why is it viewed the way it is and could the world be different or my world be different? I think the same thing also probably applies to failure. I mean, think about if we were to, or many of us were to view failure through a different lens Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and not something that is just this absolute worst thing that could happen to a human being, but something that is actually probably been proven as part of the process. Like it, it's needed in order for you to get where you're going because it can teach you things along the way. Without a doubt. So there's a few things you brought up, which one, you're great at, at the gratitude and, and the thankfulness every day. You've taught me that. And what's great about that is it's almost like we're cramming for a test mm-hmm. and oh, I'm about to die tomorrow. Um, let me, let me get it all in now. And I have a feeling, obviously I don't know. I'll know it when I pass, but if you, if we follow what you do, Oleg, which is the gratitude every day in the notes, I have a feeling that when you're at that point and you're like, okay, I think my time in this earth is about to come to an end. I have a feeling you'll be much more at peace, aligned, joyful, really less fearful. Mm-hmm. Knowing you've done years and years and minutes and minutes and hours and hours and decades and decades of thoughtful gratitude in small incremental steps, as opposed to the person who didn't do that and is like, no, no, and clinging to life, right? So Mm -hmm. I think one takeaway here is everyone, Oleg does a phenomenal job and has taught me on just incremental thanks and gratitude. Um, Feel free to ping him for his secrets. It's not even (laughs) secrets, just tips, but that can help. You know, I think of, I've seen this with, with my kids. You go to, you go to a restaurant, you go to a playground and your kids connect with another kid and they have a blast. And you're looking at the parent like, okay, you see this maybe when you have a great exchange with someone on a vacation. And let's say you hang out, you're in Mexico and you hang out with this group from Canada or wherever. Mm -hmm. There's always that moment where it's like, do we just say bye or do we exchange numbers? And hey, let's get together, right? And part of it is... You can, but part of it also is it was in that time. Like, just let it go. Maybe if you live next to the person and your kid really wants to be friends and so on, but there also are those moments of like, I don't want to force it. This was a moment in time. Let's just enjoy it what it is. And essentially, let's let this die. Why do we need to prolong this? Well, I want to prolong it because I think we could be friends. I don't want to lose out. We had a connection. Right. And that's for everyone to determine. But in that sense, there are times where we all realize this was a moment in time. It was nice to meet you. I had a great time. I'm not going to ask for your number. Let's just leave it as it is being, you know, maybe I'll see you again. And we all feel good about it. Mm -hmm. And that is where we let that die. And I guess I'm challenging all of us. Why can't we think of that in the same way with our life? Why do we have to cling to it Mm -hmm. at age whenever it is? Why can't we just say, okay, this was a moment in time. I had a good time. It's time for me to go. Now, 
I'm going to be clinging to it. Don't get me wrong. I don't know if I can practice this, but in in, in the theory of it, of, and and maybe if I can just do a li- think of this a little bit, it can make the pain and the grief of someone I lose or when I go a little bit less. Maybe that's all I get out of it. But this idea of like, this was a moment in time and it's okay. And someone else is going to come and take my place. Uh, but I enjoyed it. We had a great time and I'm not going to prolong it just for the sake of prolonging it. Mm. I, th- I couldn't think of a better theme than grieving for opportunities than what you just said or grieving about quote unquote missed opportunities. I'm just, I'm just thinking here based on my own experience and you know, the different things that I felt that I, whether it was missed or the different things that I felt that I could have acted upon more. And I started to realize that why grieve over some of those things? So what that I didn't make a connection with an individual or so what that it just happens to be so that the particular connection didn't work out the way that it did. I mean, there is a reason why, well, there's a reason why I look at life through this lens. I look at life when it comes to people that people come into your life for a season, reason in a lifetime. Mm -hmm. So if the person came into it for a reason, why am I grieving as if they were there for a lifetime? Or if they came there for just a month, why am I grieving as if they were there just for, should have been for a day? But, you know, some of those relationships that didn't work out or worked out in different ways, mm-hmm. I just, I find that to be interesting because I think yeah. there definitely is a form of grieving that happens. And yeah. really think about that. Without or you sending an email, this happens to me all the, not all the time anymore, but it used to happen a lot, very frequently. I would send an email, and meanwhile, I'm sitting here on the back end. It's gone, I don't know, it's been one to two, three minutes max. And I'm thinking, I'm grieving through the process. Why have they not responded? Yeah. Should I have said things differently? Yeah. What can I do for next time? So I'm literally creating this New York Times bestseller in my head when the reality of the matter is they might not be at the computer at the time. They might not. Or they might be responding to another email or – they might have read your email, but just haven't had the time to respond just yet. And I, I think that's a really, I thought that was a very profound point mm-hmm. in grieving over just opportunities in general. Mm-hmm. So I sent an email to someone two days ago and I didn't hear, a close person, I didn't hear back, went silent and I said, what's going on? Why, like, I guess he's mad at me. <laughs> this is mad at me, or something happened, or did he not like that comment I made? Like, what's going on? His dog died. His dog died the past 14 years. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, oh, God, Casey, you made this about you. Yeah. The dude looked at your email and said, okay, I'll get back to Casey later. Or didn't maybe didn't even see it. Because he's grieving for his dog, and he's a big dog guy the past 14 years. Why is this about me? But again, we're projecting onto it. Yes. Um, case in point from two years ago, uh, two days ago of what, of, what you're, of what you're just saying. Yeah. Melody brought up a really good point that I thought was in, would be interesting to explore. She says, I see each day as a gift. How do you personally see each day? Hmm. 
So each, yeah, I mean, each day is neutral. Mm -hmm. um, and what does that mean? Can you explain that more? What does it mean yeah. for an event to be neutral? Well, so what I mean by this, and this again, I'm just trying to learn what, what the smart people and the sages in the past have, have, have told us. But what that really means is that we give meaning to everything. So if there's a picture of my son on our mantle place, that means everything to me. That means nothing to Melody. Just, you know, maybe she'll force it to be polite to me, but really, like, what does she care, right? Okay. And I, I don't expect her to care. You know, we just got my my mother-in-law gave my my daughter a jewelry box and on the top there's a place for pictures and there's pictures you know you get at walgreens or whatever and they have pictures of of models and people in there right mm -hmm. like you look at those people i don't know who they are right like the, their pictures mean nothing to me and there was a little brown hair there's a girl small girl brown hair and at first i thought is that my daughter oh no it's a walgreens thing if that was my <laughs> daughter's picture if that was my daughter's picture and she, my daughter kind of resembled this model from, from a distance. It would mean everything to me. So everything's neutral. Now, you look at the meaning we give. We, for the most part, give negative meanings, fearful meanings. Again, every there's two emotions in life, love or fear. Mm -hmm. Really, it's there's love. And there's really only one, which is love, which is connection, collaboration, and so on. But I think we in this matrix, um, what the Course of Miracles would tell, like the ego, is we've sort of tricked ourselves into thinking that there is fear. Okay. But when you, so when you say that everything is neutral, it is so annoying. I mean, it's just so annoying. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife and I get into this and we say, well, you know, you're, you know, you're, acting this way to me whenever we have a disagreement or someone and the other one can say everything's neutral that's your feeling oh god it just like <laughs> what's so annoying is one she gets me and two is that i have to take accountability <clears throat> so when melody if she sincerely does this and isn't just paying lip service to it with based on what you've told me about melody i, I think she does is you literally take the responsibility to reframe something that's neutral into something that's beneficial. I didn't say positive, beneficial mm -hmm. for you. So the issue is when it comes to your pain, like, is it a gift? If you view it as a gift and it has no negativity, no contrast, like you said, Oleg, I don't know if that's beneficial. Mm -hmm. I think we've been programmed like, hey, it's a Hallmark card and everything is great. I don't know if that really helps. But if, if the idea of every day as a gift is that I'm going to learn, I'm going to grow, I'm going to develop, I'm not going to come from fear. I may have contrast, but I'm going to approach this day with strength, with courage, with knowing the wind is at my back, I'm going to be fine. If we could give meaning to that, to everything, I mean – talk about how the consciousness level and talk about enlightenment and talk about, I mean, that would shift the whole world in such phenomenal ways. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we're making step by step, but, but that's what I mean by neutral. And then of course, many people won't do it because it's so easy to point the finger at mm -hmm. every, Oh no, it's raining. This day sucks. Or, well, they did, I did it this morning. Um, 
But if we can shift it and actually take responsibility for it, we can then give this neutral thing, which is a day, event, a meeting, whatever it is, um, our own meaning to it. What's the challenge behind taking responsibility for one's life or for your life that you've experienced? Let's see the challenge. Um, so there's a fire truck that's going by. You know, the, what does that mean? It's right? a neutral event. It's a neutral event. <laughs> I immediately thought of death and someone's dying. And now there's no ambulance. So maybe it's not. I don't know. Right. But that's a neutral event. What meaning am I going to give it? It could be a, a cat caught in the tree. It could also be a house burning down. It could be someone needing to be resuscitated. I don't know. But Did you experience meaning? a form of grief, even though you didn't know who or what that thing might be? I experienced fear. I thought it was coming after me. The world's a bad place. Oh, God, the world's a bad place. I'm looking out on beautiful trees right now, and then that fire truck goes by. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? It's a bad place. Anything could happen to me. That could be me. That could be my wife. It could be my parents, my in-laws. Ah. So I just gave a ton of meaning, meaning to a particularly neutral event, to an absolutely neutral event. Mm -hmm. Right? It could be a fire. It could be a drill. They could be practicing with, with new recruits. I don't know. Maybe it's a movie. They could be filming a movie. I don't know. Man, I'm glad I'm not the only one that thinks like that. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I experience that all the time. And it's right. literally yesterday, I was walking Caleb outside and there were two or three fire trucks followed by some ambulance and um, a couple of police cars. And I immediately thought, damn, did I leave the stove on? Yeah. Is my place on fire? Am I going to come back to a place that's completely burned down? Yeah. And I, I didn't understand it until now, until yeah. you described it the way that you did. It's yeah. just that it's programming. It's, Program. it's been programmed to think like that. And yeah, I, I'm the same exact way when something like that happens. And I'll be sitting at the same place and looking at the stove and then, checking making checking. sure that it's turned off when the reality it's just like I, I i check the stove all the time my wife will say oh god casey can we please leave the house please the stove is fine so um but think about that i mean when it bleed this is a real life example of why media and when it bleeds it leads impacts us so much um because i i'm not even thinking about it and I look at that fire truck and I assume the worst. That's the meaning I give it. Yeah. So, um, you had a question there, though, that we went when the fire truck interrupted. Responsibility. Yeah. What would you say has been the challenge in your own life when it comes to taking responsibility for your life and your own actions? It's a ton of work. Look how easy it was for me just to go, oh, it's horrible. But that fire truck went by. Yeah. It takes so much work and brain power for me to shift and say it's neutral. I mean, it's so easy to wake up and just stay sucks. And I'm just going to, I mean, it's just easy. It's just easy. Ironically, it's easy to be sad and down and angry and unappreciative. Do you know how difficult it is to be appreciative? It's so easy to not write thank you notes. It's so hard and not hard. It, it takes energy to write thank you notes. Now, mm -hmm. the point is 
to get to that, just like it's very difficult to go running and go working out and eating better until you actually get it, right? Like I have my habit. I run mostly every day with my dog. First of all, my dog's a big forcing factor, so I have to run in the morning. <laughs> but I lay my shoes out. I lay everything out the night before. Like it's easy. It's there, right? So I'm thinking I need to literally lay a piece of pe a pen and a piece of paper and an envelope on my desk the night before so I can start writing notes. I mean, that's one thing that I learn all the time. I'm with you. I'm literally going to because I'm not writing it. I'm not writing a thank you note every day. I'm literally just going to just like my running shoes. Oleg, you've you've inspired me. I'm going to lay a pen, stamp, paper, envelope every night. And there it is. Mm hmm. And I'm going to write it. So that takes effort. That takes thinking ahead. It's really easy for me to not do that and to not write it. And I have bad handwriting and my hand hurts when I write. I hate writing. And or so I think that's my belief. And so it's so much easier for me to just be grumpy and start my email and not write the thank you note. It's easy to not be responsible. Wow, I didn't think about it that way. Well, but think about Think about the Congress. It's so easy to fire off a horrible tweet. Your fault. Ah, it's your fault. Mm -hmm. But as opposed to saying, you know what? You're right. I'm, the buck stops here, and, and I'm going to handle this. That's why we don't see it that much. That's why when we talk about leadership, um, we don't, you don't see a lot of people taking that responsibility. It, it's, it's hard. Mm -hmm. Lori has joined us here, and she had – shared she said the overwhelming darkness of grief can take a long time to become gratitude truth in a statement of love or fear it is a profound statement what, between what you just described mm -hmm. going back to it the whole concept of love and fear because i mean at the end of the day for anyone that's tuning in right now and listening these are just our perspectives and our interpretations of it there's no ultimate to anything that we're discussing but i subscribe to that thought process as the one that you described and that is it's a choice it's a choice i i can i remember <laughs> i remember one day i was i don't remember where i was i was on the trip and we met this person um person randomly and she had said this just one liner, I don't think she knew the impact it was going to have on someone like me, but she was observing someone else's behavior. And she literally just said, well, that person woke up this morning and they chose violence. And I, I laughed and I laughed because it's true. Like, it's a choice. Yeah, It's a choice that I make every single day after waking up because there are hundreds of other events that take place that change my state, but it's a choice. It's as simple as that. I can choose to be here right now and accept us for who we are and everyone else, or I can choose to be here and judge when it comes to everything that's being shared. That happiness is a choice, and it's a book by Barry Kaufman. He and his wife uh, run the Option Institute in upstate New York, um, right there on the border with Massachusetts, and they... Uh, are known for helping recover their son from very severe autism um, and moved him from being non-neurotypical into, into neurotypical and gave him a life. Many people thought he would, you know, he would be sort of um, 
entrapped in this this autism which isn't um which isn't a disease but it's literally the inability to it's a it's a behavioral issue and um beautiful book happiness is a choice and that's what it is it's a choice mm -hmm. and so you may wake up every morning how do you want and and i think the issue and dr joe dispenza talks about this and, mm -hmm. and he you you know yeah good mm -hmm. you know him. um you know he talks about how we wake up we go to the bathroom, we have our cup of coffee. And don't get me wrong, I love routine. I have my cup of coffee routine. I, I <laughs> love it. Again, I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my dog. I don't love coffee more than them. I don't. Okay? <laughs> but I do Just like to it. Clarify. <laughs> but I love my routines. But what I, the routine I don't love anymore, or I, tr or I fall my, find myself falling into and try to back out of, is that routine of of non-beneficialness let me put it that way the negativity um it's so hard to not go to cnn.com foxnews.com drudgereport.com or whatever your website is i just listed the three i go to and um just get that you know the news porn if you will um and i feel it like i just I'm, but that's my routine and I go into it. And Dr. Joe Dispenza, I'll never forget this talk he gave where he said, you don't have to overhaul your life totally to begin with. That's a lot. But just look at that routine that you have and the choices you're making. Mm -hmm. And, you know, look at the choice I've made on a Sunday morning to have this conversation with you. Mm -hmm. um, and this is something I don't know if I would have done a few years ago, but now like I look forward to it mm -hmm. and um, like, I'm just, I don't want, I didn't want you to cancel. This is great. Right. <laughs> and, and so, you know, but, but Dr. Joe Dispenza really opened my eye, my eyes to that. So while I, I do my coffee um, and, but I've, I've used it now for automatic writing. I use, obviously I go for a run, um, and, but I want to really be very uh, intentional, which I know you've brought up a lot about what are the choices I'm making big as well as small. And particularly when I start my day and also when I, when I end the day before I go to sleep, what, what is it that I'm doing? You know, no screen time or getting my to-do list ready or being thankful or having some meditation or just kind of watching old Seinfeld reruns with my wife and having a laugh, you know, really, really being intentional. And I don't do that all the time. I make a lot of mistakes. I mean, there are times where I don't watch mm -hmm. the reruns with her. And there are times Me where too. I, I do get caught up on some work and I'm at screen time at 11 PM and that's okay. But just know that that was my choice. Mm -hmm. And I'm the same exact way. And I, and I think for me, what I choose to take away from it is I'm not perfect by any means, nor do I claim, nor do I want to be. I think there is, there are elements of perfection within the imperfection that I experience every day and having all these routines, I mean, they're great, but at the same time, I also understand that each and every single one of them serves a purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a time and a place where I did X, Y, and Z, and now it's a time and a place where I do ABC. And, you know, getting rid of that routine, just like we talked about having the the cool interaction with some folks on vacation or, or at the playground with your, your child, there comes a point where you just say, hey, routine, it was good. You worked yeah. with me for a while. Uh, maybe you kept me safe or maybe that was what I needed. But um, it's it's time to move on from that routine. I'm, I'm a different person now and I'm going to yeah. do something else. And that's OK. Mm hmm. <laughs> Casey, I would like us to take a quick break. And for anyone yes. that's listening right now, 
And then we'll dive into this question here, which I will highlight for people who are tuning in. And that is, what is the best thing to say to someone who is grieving? I think it's really the whole concept about I'm sorry and different things like that. So for anyone that's listening right now, we're going to take a 10 minute break and then we'll be back to have this final discussion. So whatever questions, whatever feedback comments you have, feel free to leave them in the chat and we will see you soon.
All right, we are back. <clears throat> so this last segment or this next segment that I wanted to have a conversation around is what is the best thing to say to someone who is grieving? And I think in particular, what I wanted to shine a light onto is this whole concept and this these words of I'm sorry. And at what degree do they lose the meaning behind them? Personally speaking, I know for me within the past couple months to maybe a couple years by now, this is a concept that I have um, found it to be challenging. Here's the reason why. There were a couple times in particular, I remember when I would when I was at a funeral, uh, in particular, my grandpa's passing. I don't know how long it's been. It's, it's been a couple of years by now. <clears throat> but there were times where afterwards, after we were um, able to, you know, see his body and everything and, and say our goodbyes and all that stuff to him, there were people that came by and they said that, I'm sorry. <clears throat> There's nothing else that followed. There's nothing else that was said before. And it really got me thinking as far as here's an individual, and, and this this is meant to be without any judgment, but here's an individual who doesn't truly know me, nor does not know the um, connection and the relationship that I had with my grandpa. And yet they were using the words such as I'm sorry, which other people were. And it really got me curious as far as to what degree does that word even have meaning? And at what level do those words lose meaning? You know, when I, if I don't know you or if I haven't experienced a similar thing and I'm just saying, I'm sorry, because it's the thing that many people do, does that even have meaning at that point? How do you, how do you personally, I guess a better question for you, Casey, is how do you personally look at the words? I'm sorry to begin with. Especially so, as it, as it as it relates to like loss or grief. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. when you say the best, what is the best thing to say to someone who is grieving? The first step I would take, and I'll get to the point about how I feel about I'm sorry, but the first step I take is looking inward at myself as what am I again projecting onto this person? So. What, what am I doing this for myself? So if someone is head in their hands, crying and thrashing about because of some loss, again, that's neutral. So what meaning am I giving it? I'm giving it uh, that they don't want that. But we know they want it because just like you with the tears coming out, mm -hmm. it was actually something cathartic it was good in a way <clears throat> the other thing is i mean i'm gonna get a little embarrassed i don't want them to do it if i'm being honest i don't want them crying mm -hmm. i don't want to hear the noise it's it, it makes me uncomfortable just like the baby on an airplane like oh god really so I have to look at what I do when someone is grieving and really understand why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. Why am I putting hand on the shoulder? Why am I saying I'm sorry? Why am I going to say, oh, it's okay. They're in a better place now. Is it really because I believe that? Or is it really because I just shut up and stop crying? You're making me feel bad. And mm -hmm. 
tears are bad and just ah, go to a different room if you're going to cry or actually I'm going to leave. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I do if I want to determine what I'm going to say to someone, what is the best thing to say is to, again, look inward. And it's not about making this all about me, mm-hmm. which people can. That's not it. But more of what is my feeling? What is my fear? Am I afraid of being embarrassed? Am I afraid of just the own fears that will run through my mind? So that's the first step. Now, usually I will fall back on either saying nothing. Um, I like to give a hug if I know the person because vibrationally, I think that vibration is, is can connect and align better than, as we talked about, kind of inexact words. Mm-hmm. I think this is a perfect example of words, of our language, which we think encompasses things really being inexact. But I have fallen back on I'm sorry because what else is there? It, it's, it's an olive branch. It's a gesture. Because if I don't say I'm sorry, now I'm a schmuck. And, well, why didn't Casey say he's sorry, right? So it's definitely not ideal. But sometimes, and it definitely has lost its meaning. Um, you know, in laws, if something like Xerox or tissue, those are actual brand names, but they were so identified with the product itself, they've kind of lost their meaning. You know, a Xerox copy back in the day or a tissue is almost like a lowercase t, a lowercase x, right? Which is not good for their intellectual property, but that's a different story. But what it, what it means also, I'm sorry, has kind of lost its meaning. It's kind of just what you say. Um, sometimes it's better than nothing, mm-hmm. but sometimes nothing is actually better if it can kind of just be encompassed, uh, encapsulated in a in a head nod, or in a in a in a hug of just, you know, like I'm. Yes, and it's okay to grieve. Uh, so for me, I think I'm a touchy feely guy. But if I could hug someone mm-hmm. more so than say something, that's what I would do if they were grieving. Uh, but I'm sorry. Um, I often say my thoughts are with you. Um, but it's it's even I walk away going, Ugh, you know. Um, I say, oh, my heart broken. And it's just, it's just an acknowledgement that it's, it's okay. And that I see you. And I think many of us want to be acknowledged. And so, um, but it's, 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 I, I have no perfect response because, and we can get into this. If I start solutioning yeah. or if I start going into, well, this is how you should feel. Oh God, you know, no one, it, it's, I'm sorry is kind of a, a poor, but nonetheless kind of an equivalent to uh, to a hug. Mm-hmm. I was having a conversation like this uh, yesterday or the day before with another friend of mine, Carlos Perez, and we were talking about uh, vibrational healing and what you just described Mm -hmm. as far as being able to give someone a hug or shake their hand, just touch them in one form or another. I think voice can probably also do that to a degree, heal someone through that form of vibration. But I just thought that was such a fascinating thing to bring back up because here's a topic that I didn't think uh, there was much conversation around. And there you go, bringing up literally an example. Well, your friend Carlos, I think think he's right on. Yeah, I haven't heard that term. Vibrational healing, though, uh, nails it. Mm -hmm. You know, the other thing that you pointed out, which, and that goes to the language part as well, is that there, I don't know if you've ever experienced this and it sounds like you have, I definitely have and continue to experience it. I think within language, there are so many limitations. And this is one of those situations where just not knowing, even in how you described it, 
going up to the person and saying, you know, it's like, I understand you, but I don't, (laughs) I know what you're going through, but I don't, I feel what you're feeling, but I don't, I, I think I've caught myself in situations like that afterwards, reflecting upon it and thinking, did I really understand? Did I really feel, did I really know? But at the same time, I'm looking at it through the lens of not blaming myself for what I didn't know, but rather just acknowledging it in a way to help raise my own awareness Yeah, and, and to keep moving forward. Because if there's anything else, I think there's always going to be room for improvement. There's always going to be more to know and more to learn and creating those opportunities for myself where I can understand that. That's been really key. And just moving forward and just know that I'll always be a work in progress, probably. And and to talk to someone who's grieving, you know, we often think about death and loss, but it could be it could be anything. You know, grieving could be breaking breaking your foot and missing an event, or it could be anything. What I like to do is to find something to say, a memory about the person that they're missing, or about if I can. Um, so obviously if, if, uh, if, if someone passes away and you're hugging a family member who's still alive, you can say, Oh, something, a, a story about them. Um, try not to make it about yourself, but about them. And my, I had a, a childhood friend literally from, from the womb. Um, and he was in a horrible accident, uh, 20 years ago and, and he passed kind of due to complications of it uh, about two years ago. Um, and at this funeral, you know, I would, I would go to his parents who've known me since I was born and, and, you know, I, what am I going to say? And, um, we had, we hadn't been in in as much contact. We had kind of lost touch and, uh, which saddened me, but I just hugged and said, you know, I remember when type thing, uh, about their son, my friend. And so, that brought a smile to their face and, and they hadn't thought of that memory in a while. That was a memory I had. It wasn't one they had. And it was almost like they said, thank you for that. I have another memory of my son now that I can, they have the memory of me telling it to them on the funeral day. And they also have the memory of it through me. Right. So that was something that, um, that worked well. I think also if someone is grieving, not over the loss of a loved one where you can tell a story like that, obviously you don't want to say, um, boy, this event you just missed because you broke your toe would have been really good if, right? Now you're just rubbing yeah. it in. But, you know, if there could be something that you can that you can bring up um, that tells a story or memorializes or just sort of acknowledges them or the person or the thing they're missing, um, you know, that's that's always a great way because it goes to gratitude. You know, when you when you're not imagining the loss, but when you're taking a second to kind of imagine and memorialize memory, mm-hmm. the the um, the thing itself, the person itself, that leads to that gives you the ability, even subconsciously, to relive it, to to be grateful, you know. And a memory, a thought, is literally just us talking to ourselves. You know, when, when people, kids, or, or you might see someone, a homeless person or someone who we say is not all there and they're talking out loud to themselves and no one else, they're not crazy. We do the same thing. We just don't move our lips. (laughs) 
we just don't move our lips. We have the social decorum, the ego in this matrix to know that if we move our lips out loud and no one else is around, we are crazy. Mm -hmm. um, why that rule is there, I don't know. But, uh, but we do it in our head. And that is us talking to ourselves. So, um, but really just kind of giving them that memory, giving them that talk track, giving them that conversation, even if just for a second or two, uh, can really be a spark for gratitude. And then a spark for gratitude sort of helps them activate and kind of trigger um, some action, which then can help begin that process of moving out of fear, out of grief into appreciation and so on. Now, it may take a year, it may take 10 years, it may take 10 minutes, it may take 10 days. Um, obviously, the ancient Jew Jewish religion has, uh, you know, seven days of sitting Shiva um, and and to mourn. I mean, they gave seven days, if not more, right? I mean, I think the ancient traditions know this takes a while. Uh, and so it, it could take longer. But that's what I would sort of say or do to someone who's grieving. Just out of pure curiosity, why seven? Why not six? Why not eight? Why seven? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. There's a <laughs> lot of a lot of sevens in Judaism. Um, it probably did to the number of candles on the menorah. To be honest with you, mm -hmm. um, seven is is one. Um, I, Eighteen is a sign of life. I'm not sure. I'll have to look into that. Maybe it's just a, a full week, the seven days. seven days, yeah. maybe the seven days of the week and creation and God and back, you know, the, the, the story of creation, but I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if this is the, the right word to use, but let's, I'm going to use it anyway to get the point across. Do you, do you worry about being forgotten? Cause I know you mentioned this concept of memory mm -hmm. and um, for me, memory has been important because it has allowed not only certain people, but certain experiences to live beyond their physical course. But I'm curious from your lens, do you worry or do you get concerned about being forgotten when you? Yeah, that's pass? an interesting question. So if I was quick enough and I had my Jewish comedian hat on, I would have said something like seven days worth of guilt. And, you know, <laughs> they, <laughs> They wanted uh, 13 days, but then they lopped it to seven because they thought it'd be too much because, you know, they want to get their guilt in. So, um, but uh, any Jewish comedians out there, please throw in your jokes. But do I want to be remembered or am I afraid of being forgotten? Um, I think I was afraid of being forgotten um, in, in the past, the idea of legacy was something big for me, whether I knew it or not. I mean, the presidents have libraries. I mean, that's if that doesn't keep U.S. presidents alive and immortal forever, I don't know what does, right? And so I think all of us on our own scale want, it, want to be immortal. We want things, we want to be alive forever. Um, and if our body ends, we want people thinking about us. We don't, you know, we want a great obituary. And I think the fear is, yeah, like when, when my body leaves and I'm not around anymore, or even if I leave the room and people are talking like, will they, will they forget about me? And that's, that's a, um, that's just kind of a, a narcissistic, um, all about me type of way of thinking, which, which I still fall into, you know, what happened to me recently is I created 
you know, leave law behind. Look at me. I created leave law behind is, is my business, which helps unhappy attorneys leave the law. And my business partner, Adam Ouellette, um, again, who's been a great inspiration for me said, you need to create an online course to help more people. And at first I pushed back. I wanted to do one-on-one coaching. And, um, but with his help, I, I got this course out at the videos, it's worksheets and everything. And it, um, um, we're helping a ton of people. I'm just, um, mm-hmm. it, it's great. What I, when I think back about when I created this and when I wrote some original store, uh, articles on above the law back in 2014, when I really started getting out there, I don't know where these ideas came from. I don't, I don't know where it came from. Mm-hmm. And I realized I, this label, Casey, I didn't create it. It came through me. And I think of Jack Kerouac, you know, on the road, the beatniks in the 50s. And he literally, <clears throat> when he was typing, he got this special paper that wasn't single pieces of paper. It was one long loop. So he didn't have to remove the paper when he was typing. He literally would just type. I think of one of my favorite offers, Cormac McCarthy, All the Pretty Horses, who just writes without periods and commas. You think of James Joyce, the stream of consciousness, who I can't understand his writing. I, I wish I could. But um, – he just keeps writing. And so I realized in my own little way, leave all behind just came out of me. And I'm happy my business partner, Adam, was able to, to help pull that out. And, but it wasn't me. I didn't create it. It, it just, I don't want to say higher source. I don't want to freak people out with some sort of special higher source, but it literally came out of me. Mm-hmm. And now it's helping people and people are interpreting it their own. And it's literally not even mine. It's just there and it's automated and the systems are there and so on. I think it's the same thing with overcoming odds. I mean, I don't, you might now sit down and say, well, I created this, but at the same time, like, where did all of this come from? Yeah. You're, you're doing speaking engagements now and getting paid for it. And people are, you're in demand as a speaker. Where does this come from? You don't script every word. Yeah. So, I bring this up as just kind of real life examples of things that I could put my name on. I created this to be remembered, right? As my legacy is what I want. But when I'm honest with myself, I don't, I don't, I don't know where it came from. And if I need in this world we live in, if I need to be the author of something, if I need to be the speaker, leave law behind created by Casey Berman. Sure. Like I'm not going to, get woo woo and say, no, I demand you say it's from a higher source. Fine. I know how it works, but do I need to be remembered much, much less so because it just doesn't feel authentic. Mm-hmm. It just, like, I just, I gotta be honest. Like I I'll do it. I'll run through the motions. Like if you need my name on it, but, um, I'm okay. Just sort of just, 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 I, I, it's just not as important to me anymore. Do you have a sense of legacy then at this point? What does that mean, sense of legacy? Well, that's what I'm trying to understand is one of the things that I've been asked in regard to it is, you know, what is your legacy or what do you want to leave behind? And I think I'm in a similar space as you are where the way that I understand it is I no longer seek credit. Yeah. And, and there were times where I did, 
where it was important for me to have the name behind <clears throat> a certain thing or said created or founded by X, Y, and Z. But now I find that that's really not as important. And I think to a degree, even the whole concept of legacy, wanting to be remembered or wanting to have accomplished a particular thing, I can't say that exists, to be honest. Yeah. I think, and I think part of that is because of what you just described. I mean, yes, I started certain things, but you know, overcoming odds is a combination of hundreds of people to go through it. Um, same exact thing with everything else, and I just I found that to be interesting and fascinating at the same time, because then I think, for me personally speaking, the legacy it almost like dissolves. Yeah. So you just made me think of, you just triggered in me three things. One is, yeah, there's a certain level of legacy. There's a certain level of ego, narcissism, like, sure, I'll take a little credit, like, you know, even though it's less and less. But if I were to say I don't need any credit, I, I think I'd be lying to myself. What I, what I do feel good about is it's, it's, less and less and less. And I've learned that from people in my life who, who really don't seem to care about things I thought they would. Mm -hmm. um, there are people around me, Adam, my business partner, you, Scott, other people who I see not needing credit mm -hmm. and actually pushing me up and thinking, well, doesn't Adam want to take credit? Doesn't Scott? And I'm seeing this and I just, they've been great models for me. And so it's a little bit there, just mm -hmm. first off. Mm -hmm. But it really, it, it's so little now. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I, I feel very good about it. I think, too, I realize I'm in this world. I don't, you have, we've talked about thank you and how you say it now. And if someone says, Casey, you've done a great job on Leave Love Behind. Or if I get to a point of like, we now want to announce Casey Berman, the founder of blank. Thank you. I'm not going to poo-poo it. Oh, no, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. I didn't. You know, that's disingenuous. Like, thank you very much. I'm not going to blabor it. I'm not going to have planes flying over, but thank you. The main thing is the third, which is that you just triggered in me, which is to what our the part of our earlier conversation, which is um, that the when I do pass, whether I, I feel it coming or whether it's right away, is to your point about the being thankful over time and not having to cram. I think the legacy that really means something to me is that moment where I say, all right, I did this. I did this. I did, I did this right. Mm -hmm. I did this and not right as imperfect or correct or better than anyone, but I did this in a, at a level of love. I did this in a, in, I made the choice. Like Dr. Joe Dispenza, I, 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 yes, I feel really good about how I lived my life. And it's not a level of credit. It's not a level of accolades. It's literally that point where you, you just kind of fall back into wherever you fall and feeling um, aligned and complete. And maybe kicking yourself here and there. Oh, I wish I could have done that. I wish I could have done that. <laughs> but more humorous, just... Um, you know, I think it's to your point of, of non-regret. And if you're saving everything up until that 24 hours before you die to get rid of regret, 
won't happen. You got to follow a lead like you do, Oleg, where it's thankfulness and gratitude and alignment are things that you you do in incremental ways, uh, you know, throughout this this process or throughout whether or this journey, however you want to look at it, um, that we call our life. Mm -hmm. This might be a loaded question or something that I don't even know how to best ask, but how do you understand what is, how do you know if something is right and something is wrong? And the reason why I ask that is because as I reflect upon history, just human history in general and what we've done as humans and what we've been able to accomplish and set forth for each other as far as things to follow. (laughs) There are clearly elements within that where things are not considered to be the right ways of behaving or doing certain things. And I'm wondering to a degree, I mean, hypothetically speaking, what if quote unquote, we're wrong? You and I, how do you know the difference though? How do you know how, what is that? Is that a feeling? Is that a thought? Some other form of confirmation that makes you believe that what you are doing and how you are living and what you are choosing to share with the world is right according to you. So it's a feeling and does it come from the feeling of love or does it come from fear? Hmm. Where does it come from? So, For me? <laughs> I mean, that that's the rule I use as to whether it's right. And again, right. not right as in A plus versus B plus. Mm-hmm. Not right as in 90% versus 82%. Um, but not right as in it pleases more people compared to not pleasing more people. But right as in, is this the choice that, aligns with the with the higher spirit with the emperor has no clothes looking beyond the matrix um it comes down to a feeling now let's unpack that a feeling is a vibration we have internally that is conscious Mm -hmm. i've read an emotion which are used interchangeably sometime and that's okay but an emotion is something uh subconscious we don't even know we're feeling it right Mm -hmm. Um, and a thought can create those feelings. So if you have a thought of lack, you're going to feel anxious and then you're going to act and do something. Mm-hmm. That's usually how it works. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so for me, how do I do it? Let me give, how do I, how do I know if it's right mm-hmm. is where's it coming from? So let me give you an example. <clears throat> when we look at kids and raising children, if the child doesn't go to bed at the t- or whatever it is, but go to bed at a certain time, there is a feeling of disrespect. Mm-hmm. This child is disrespecting me. And then how, how do you, how do you act on that? You, right. You know, depends on the family, right? Some, you yell, you scream, you threaten, you spank, you um, talk quietly, whatever it is you do. What if the child is fearful. What if the child is in scratchy pajamas that just, it's just grating for them? Mm-hmm. What if the child, who knows? What if it's not disrespect? Just like we talked about earlier, my friend who didn't get back to me with the email, I was nervous that I did something wrong and, and his dog passed away. 
So uh, again, this is neutral. I'm giving it meaning. So on the, and I'm coming from fear. God damn it. This kid won't listen to me. (laughs) And I'm coming from fear, which is also anger, grief, lack. What if I came to it from love, which doesn't mean I'm a pushover. Not at all. Doesn't mean I'm complacent, but it does say what's going on here. Why won't he do this? Um, Okay. My son's name is Jethro. Okay, Jethro. I want you to go to sleep because I need to get to sleep. I'm tired. And just understanding and unpacking. Um, and and it you may not solve it on the first one, but I know when I you I know when I'm coming from love, and I also know when I'm coming from fear. Mm-hmm. And love could be inquisitiveness, curiosity, compassion, understanding. So how I know when I'm right or wrong is I go in and saying, where is my reaction coming from? Um, most often still, even with me, is it, there's a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of, a lot of um, well, I want some credit here. What's going on? Um, but that's how I determine. Mm-hmm. And I think I'd probably look at it through a similar lens as you're describing this, and that's choosing to curiosity for me is important. So whether it's a place of curiosity or learning, <clears throat> wanting to better understand compared to the other sides of that. And that's, it's funny that you mentioned the whole example of the kid wanting to go um, or needing to go to sleep or wanting to go to sleep, whichever way you want to frame it. I've, I've experienced that as a kid. In fact, <laughs> I remember days when I was younger, probably in middle school, my parents and I, we had agreed upon a specific time that I would be going to bed, especially on school night. It was like 9 or 10, 10 p.m. I was going to say 10 a.m. That would be really early, 10 p.m. But one of the things I used to do was this was in early 2000s, and Detroit Pistons were very, very good at basketball. Oh, yeah. Rip City. And I would, Hamilton. I would go into my room. I would turn the, ra- turn the radio to a point where I feel like the outside noise was equal, so they couldn't really hear it. And I would listen, I would listen to the whole game. Oftentimes, I mean, sometimes they won. There were a couple of times where they would lose to, you know, LeBron James when he was in his prime. And yeah. the guy would just score like 30 points all yeah. on his own, yeah. single-handedly beat teams. But it, it's funny that you mentioned that because there's so many different variables that play within that for why – a person is acting in a particular way. Mm-hmm. And I think that the analogy of a child not wanting to go to sleep is a similar analogy to maybe people just in general. I mean, I never know what someone is going through or what they're experiencing or how they're handling certain things. Mm-hmm. We're talking about grief, talking mm-hmm. about how someone processes it and what it is that they're wanting to hear at the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know any of that. I don't know whether or not they would like to hear, I'm sorry, or just as you described, just a head nod, hug, or not say anything at all. I think just understanding the different complexities, just of humans and human behavior has been key for me. But going back to what you just described, the love and the fear, Mm -hmm. where's the action and where's the thought ultimately coming from? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have had uh, 
I don't want to say a difficult life, but I've had some challenges I didn't expect, <laughs> you know, surprise, surprise, Casey, you know, getting just marriage and kids. My, my children did not align with traditional school. We've had to homeschool. Um, there was school refusal, a lot of crying and confusion my wife and I had around like, why the heck won't our kids go to school and just being different and medical diagnoses and just the anxiety as a parent, are we good parents? And, um, you know, my wife and I have been in the trenches together and at each other's throats and also just loving and, um, and, you know, this, it wasn't, this wasn't really, you just get married, you have kids and they play baseball and they go to the prom and you have a few, a few cliche jokes, right? And it hasn't been that way. Um, throw in the recession in 08, throw in COVID, throw in some <laughs> health issues. I mean, the hell is going on, right? Um, being an adult. And so um, it's been, you know, it, it's been, and, and thankfully I'm not living in a, in squalor somewhere. Thankfully I have, I'm in this country and I have the opportunity, I go on and on. Um, and, you know, people have said, you're so strong, Casey, and you're strong. And I, and I do have, I'll just, I'm like, thank you. I, there's a level of strength and a level of peace I've had. And granted, again, I haven't had a major death. I haven't been bombed. I'm not a refugee in some country. I mean, thankfully, I have more than just the clothes on my back. Um, but there is a level of strength and perseverance and, and resilience that I've had to have that I wasn't really sure about, you know, look at, at my age. And I think um, it's something that I am grateful for. On the one hand, it gives me a narrative and a story that I can tell. Mm -hmm. And um, I can kind of fall into it sometimes. And people are like, whoa, Casey, I didn't know all the stuff you went through. And it's kind of cool for a little while until I go, Berman, what are you doing, man? Come on, enough with the, like, it works sometimes. But what it's done for me is, to the point you said earlier about contrast, is the the trials, even if they're minor in a way compared to what other people have gone through, the trials that I've gone through, which I didn't really expect, um, have enabled me to see the front and the back, have enabled me to be able to... Um, understand peaks and valleys and understand why I don't want to want to flatline. There is no way I am talking to you, even talking about these weird things and being invited here without everything that I've gone through. Um, and so I'm, I'm better for it. And that's the way I need to look at it. I think the alternative is to get depressed and anxious and, and really look at life as happening to me, which I've done. But for me, um, just to be really open and honest here, I've had to really shift into saying that, you know, my, it's my viewpoint and my perspective of life, which one really matters. And I think two is the key to my sanity to really, as Melody said, to kind of view each day as a gift, because it's up to mm -hmm. me whether this is a gift or whether this is First, um, yeah. a present. And the other way that another way of saying what Melody said, the Course in Miracles says is, are you going to view the world as a prison? Or are you going to view the world as a classroom? Mm -hmm. And I choose to view it as a classroom, even though I do view it as prisons throughout the day, but I choose to view it overall as a classroom and what I can learn from it. And I think I know from you and your spirit, Oleg, you, you endeavor to do the same. Mm -hmm. Now I know you do much of this work through leave law behind, share a little bit about what you have within that and 
for those that are watching, there's a website scrolling at the bottom, but for those that are listening, what are some ways that they can connect with you? Yeah, thank you. Like leavelawbehind.com. And I sort of fell into it. I always joke I was a Jewish kid who didn't like blood. So I didn't go to medical school. I went to law school. And that's, about <laughs> as, that's about as critically as I thought about it. And no wonder I, I didn't like being an attorney. But we built a great community and we're really helping um, attorneys to get out of their job they feel bad in and incompetent in as an attorney to transition to an alternative job that they love and that they're good at and that they can make good money and live the life they want. And it's been, I'm humbled to just see how it's grown. So if anyone um, knows an unhappy attorney who wants out um, or just wants to contact me, I'm Casey, C-A-S-E-Y at leavelawbehind.com or just check out our website. Now, is LinkedIn another platform that people can connect with you? LinkedIn, find me, Casey Berman on LinkedIn. I'm connected with Oleg and Scott. Um, so uh, would love to uh, connect with anyone, just say hi, or even continue the discussion. So, mm. Well, thank you, Casey, for being a part of this. And for everyone that tuned in, one other thing that I'll mention is if you've enjoyed any parts of this or if you found value, and everything that we've shared and just been able to shift your own perspective. All I ask is that you consider supporting our cause and that's going to our website, make a contribution, share the word with someone else who can benefit from this work. And I know that this is something I've committed to three or four years ago, but I felt like it's been probably a lifetime if I, if I'm being honest, you know, I was, I was born, I think. I want to say, everyone, please go to OvercomingOdds.today. I think Oleg is, I know Oleg is an extremely special individual, passionate energy. I'm excited to be on the board of the organization. Um, check it out. I don't know. There aren't many times where you run into someone with, with Oleg's energy and his ability and intention to act. So um, there is some great, great stuff happening here that you can be a part of, that you can send to other people, or that can can really help you directly. Oleg, it's an honor to be here, um, mm-hmm. and I encourage everyone to really check out Overcoming Odds out today. There are some fantastic people involved that Oleg's uh, collected, and I, I think this is going to be game-changing uh, for so many people, what you're creating here. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider supporting our cause by making a donation through our website at overcomingodds.today so we can continue creating and sharing these courageous and inspiring conversations. Once again, We thank you for listening and we look forward to having you next time.